But one thing that like never fails is just you just want to know if people want to use it. And that's really hard to actually find out. You know, if they're using it every day, then yeah, they want to use it. But like, you know, how do you get that started? How do you build something that people want to use all the time? And I don't think there's a really clear answer other than trial and error. That's Leah Culver, the co-founder and CTO of Breaker, the best app for listening to podcasts. Before building Breaker, Leah built several startups, including Pounce with Kevin Rose and Daniel Burka, which was later acquired by Six Apart, as well as another chat-based startup called Convore, which was also accepted into Y Combinator. What Leah is talking about is the challenge of building products people love and never quite knowing what's really going to work. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Variano, and today we're speaking with Leah Culver, the co-founder and CTO of Breaker, the best app for listening to podcasts. Leah has been building products for over 10 years. She helped launch an early version and competitor to Twitter called Pounce with Kevin Rose and Daniel Burka in 2007. In 2011, she was working on a workplace chatting and instant messaging app that was accepted into Y Combinator and has also been part of companies like Sincerely and Dropbox. Since 2016, she's been focused on building Breaker, a new podcast app centered around discovery that was also part of Y Combinator earlier this year. Leah joins us to share her story, how she got into startups, what it's been like building and working at startups in Silicon Valley for over 10 years, what it's been like building Breaker, what it was like going through Y Combinator a second time, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Leah, thanks for being on the show today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to have you on, given all the amazing things that are happening over at Breaker, which, you know, we're totally going to dive into over the course of the episode. But before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? So I grew up in uh, Minnesota. I went to the University of Minnesota for college and I studied computer science. So I've always loved the web. So as soon as I knew about the web and had a personal computer, I built my first website at 15 years old and I just fell in love with it. I always wanted to work in technology and I didn't start off in computer science. I started off with an art major, but realized that, you know, in order to do what I wanted to do, which was build things on the web, um, I should get a computer science degree. And, and so I did that. And then as soon as I graduated um, from undergrad from University of Minnesota, I moved out to the Bay Area and Silicon Valley and have been working here ever since. Wow, that's really cool. So can you give us a quick overview of some of the startups that you were a part of or some of the products that you worked on that really set the stage for you becoming a founder and launching Breaker? So I've mostly worked for startups. My Most of my career has been working for companies that are under 10 people. My first startup was very shortly after I finished school. I worked a couple of jobs for other startups. It's some smaller than others, but I uh, wanted to really build something of my own. And so I was approached by my co-founders, Kevin Rose and Daniel Burka. And they said, hey, do you, do you want to build uh, a new website with us? And of course, I had no idea what I was doing. And I said, sure. And yes, I can. Which really changed everything for me. I'm a big believer in, you know, really pushing myself to do things that are outside my comfort zone, um, and which that definitely was. So that was my first startup, Pounce, which was a social networking website, sort of like a microblog, kind of what you'd consider. Back then, it was considered a competitor to Twitter, so very similar to Twitter. 
Um, you'd follow people and you could send them messages and photos. And this was all web-based. This is pre-iPhone even so a long time ago. And what ended up happening is things didn't go so well for the economy in 2009. Um, and we ended up selling the company to Six Apart, which is a large blogging corporation. And it was subsequently shut down. So I worked for Six Apart for a little while on um, TypePad, which is their blogging platform, and a couple other things. Didn't get back into doing my own startup for a couple years. And then met up with some friends who wanted to do a startup. And I said, sure, why not? And we applied to Y Combinator. And we actually got the interview at Y Combinator pretty early on in the process. We hadn't really built anything or had any users. And that was 2011. And the product was Convor, which was topic-based group chat, like with channels and people chatting. And it was, it was all public. And what we discovered was that there were different types of groups that would use Convor. And so from there, we thought we needed to pivot to really focus on one of those groups. For example, we had like friend groups using it or people using it for live blogging events or people using it for their work chat in like a private group. And I really wanted to focus on work chat. So pivoted the company to focus on work chat at that time. But my co-founders were very interested in doing more consumer products and things for the average person, not necessarily for business. So they left to found a different company. And I think as a solo founder, it's really hard to stay motivated. And I kind of got a little bit burnt out and lost a lot of motivation um, and ended up selling the product to a company called Revsys, who continued to maintain it after that. So those were my first two startups. And then after that, I've worked at a bunch of other startups startups, both as a product manager and as a developer. And I've switched from web to iOS and back to web. And I kind of do a little bit of both these days. And then now I work on Breaker, which we can talk about shortly. Wow, that's amazing. Sounds like a lot of really exciting learning experiences. And, and obviously, you know, it's, it's led you to where you are today. So speaking of that, in December 2016, you co-founded Breaker, where you're currently the CTO. Can you start by telling us a little bit more about what Breaker is all about, for those who might not know, and what really motivated you to help launch it? Well, Breaker is an iOS app for listening to podcasts, and it's very much focused on discovery and social discovery. So you can follow friends, you can see what they listen to, and our dis main discovery mechanism is based on what people like. So you can like episodes, and then we'll recommend them to other users. So we have like top hot episodes today, and this week, and this month, and we're continuing to explore with surfacing really like episodes that you'd be interested in. So I think right now, podcast discovery is mainly done through like, big directories like Apple's podcast directory where it's about a podcast and some editor at Apple picks those podcasts. And we think that's like a big commitment. Like I thought it was like huge commitment to just jump into a whole podcast. What I want to find out is where should I start? What are the really cool things I should be listening to right now? And an episode is so much shorter and easier to listen to than an entire show. And a lot of those such as this one, you can just jump into one episode. You can find a guest that you find interesting and get into it that way. And I think that's a much easier your starting point. So that's the main premise of Breaker is it's very episode focused, very social. We let Breaker as a community decide what are the best episodes that you should be listening to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to get back to the community element uh, later on. But why podcasts? I guess like why was that a medium that excited you the most? Why solve the discovery of, of that specific space? So after my second startup, I really wasn't looking to do a startup uh, <laughs> again. I worked for Dropbox for about three years, which I loved. Um, I worked there as a developer evangelist, and then I worked on some internal tools for them. And I really liked working there. I wasn't actually looking to do a startup. So this is kind of the first startup I've worked on where 
it was like the startup found me instead of the other way around. So I've been running for a few years. So I'll go out jogging several days a week. And I got into listening to podcasts through running. So I got tired of listening to the same music over and over and wanted to find something new. And so I listened to the Serial podcast uh, when it was popular in 2016. And I got really into the story and was really excited. And then when it ended, I was like, okay, so I, I think I like listening to podcasts, especially while I'm running. What should I listen to next? And this is where I had this problem of like, I looked at some of the stuff in the Apple podcast directory, but I didn't know it was good. I tried asking a few friends, but they didn't always have the same taste as me. And I really wanted to go more broad and sort of discover shows that really suited me. And that's where I got really interested in this podcast discovery problem. And then I reached out to a friend of mine, Eric Michaels over, who's now our CEO. I knew he was working at SoundCloud at the time. And I said, hey, what do you think of podcasts? I sent him an email. He was living in Berlin. I said, what do you think of podcasts? And he replied back with, you know, a super long email with all his thoughts about podcasts. And he I didn't know this, but he was very much into podcasts at SoundCloud and was really excited about them and thought there was a bright future in podcasting and thought it was only going to get more popular in the next few years. So he was happy to sign on and, and help me out. So that's how we became co-founders. I had known him for, for a while just through the development community, but I reached out to him because he said, if you ever do a startup again, let me know what it is. But I was just so thrilled that he was so excited about podcasting. And so that was actually actually back in, I want to say, December of 2015. So we started working on Breaker as a side project. The company itself was founded in December 2016, but we really started working on it in the spring of 2016 because we both had day jobs other places. So we started working on it kind of nights and weekends. We didn't even really know that it would be a startup, which is definitely a different approach than a lot of founders take. So I'm happy to talk more about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And it actually ties into the next question I want to ask about, you know, the first version of Breaker. So what was the app like back then? How did you approach building the first version? It was much slower. The whole process went a lot more slowly than previous startups I'd worked on. We really took it in pieces. So Eric and I would meet up on a weekend. So we'd have like brunch on a Saturday. And then most of Breaker was built on Sunday afternoons. I would sit at home and I would write code. Eric actually built the first piece of it, which was how we gather all of our podcasts. So he wrote a Ruby on Rails app that we call Snarfer. <laughs> it goes out and finds it Snarf's podcast. That's it goes out and finds podcasts <laughs> on that web. Yeah. So we find so podcasts are published via RSS feeds, right? Um, just I mean, I'm sure you know that, but just putting that out there for people who aren't super aware. It's very old school tech. So we had to go find these RSS feeds. So that's what Snarfer did. Then I started working on an iOS component for it. We actually went back and forth on if we wanted to do a tool for podcasters or if we wanted to do something for listeners. But I thought this discovery problem was really at the core of it. And I think the only way we felt like we could do a really good job of it was to provide the listening experience and sort of have everything be in app. Like the same place that you're listening to podcasts is also where you can find new podcasts. We thought that was pretty powerful. So I had done iOS development in the past. So I started just working on the iOS app, like I said, like probably one and a half days a week, not even just very much on weekends. And then we gave it to our friends and had them try it out. And it was built super iteratively. We started by adding just like our closest friends, like Eric's wife, who is then his girlfriend, <laughs> um, was one of our first users. You know, I think my sister was one of our first users, uh, just people we were pretty close to. And through their feedback, we added more and more people because now on test flight, you can add, I think it's even higher now, but at the time you could add up to 2000 beta testers. So we had a long time where we were just adding lots of new people just to the beta and getting feedback that way. Yeah, that's really cool. And so through that iterative approach of just adding close friends and family and testing and, and building it out, at what point did it really become, hey, we need to take this to the next level and it needs to become a dedicated thing? Like it's not just a side project. How did that happen? 
Yeah. Well, once we had a few hundred users, um, and this is just through friends and family and people we met, we'd have like a friend of a friend of ours. We heard they liked podcasts and be like, hey, try our app. So once we had some active users that way, it seemed like it was pretty obvious that we were onto something and people really liked it. And we got lots of good feedback and we were able to build something we thought was really powerful. And we applied to Y Combinator and we quit our jobs. We actually quit our jobs before we were accepted into Y Combinator. So like between the time we applied and when we interviewed, um, we both left our jobs thinking like, no matter what happens, and we're going to try and make this this work. That was really the catalyst for it all was just having, a, we felt there was like this tipping point of we have enough people, there's enough interest, we should just go for it. That's amazing. And so as you mentioned, you know, you guys applied to Y Combinator, ultimately, you ended up getting in. So that was actually your second Y Combinator experience. So but what was overall, what was it like for you and, and your co founder? So as my second time, uh, I think things were quite different the second time in terms of I knew what to expect. It wasn't such a, a mystery. And we did have to go through, we went through the same application process that everyone else goes through even the second time. But the really great part about Y Combinator is the network. And, and one of the things I struggled with was since I had already done it, I already had those connections. I was considered, you know, a YC founder. I could reach out to Y Combinator at any time. But what I really wanted was for Y Combinator to be part of my success in any future companies. I feel like they took a better on me for Convor. And I really wanted to, I, I wanted to have them on my team again. So that was for me, the really exciting part about it was being able to work with, I consider the partners at Y Combinator to be some of the smartest and best investors in the industry. So I was super thrilled to work with them again and to work with the other YC founders. <laughs> it's such a great community of people. You know, it's like people who are both in your batch and going through the same things that you're going through, plus this whole alumni network of people who have done this before and in the past and in a wide variety of fields, you know, they fund almost everything. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I could only imagine. Were there some significant differences going through the second time? Or was was it did it feel like, yeah, it's the same program, I'm doing the same kind of things? Or was it a completely different experience? Yeah, they've added some stuff that I think is really good. So now they have these group office hours where you meet in a smaller group and you discuss what is my bottleneck, what's my problem this week, and then other founders help you through that, which I think is super valuable. They didn't have that the first time I was doing Y Combinator. And of course, it's much bigger. So the whole operation has to move a little bit more smoothly. Um, but otherwise, it was pretty much the same. Wow, really cool. Again, sounds like an amazing experience. So given your experience as both a developer and a product manager, What's your approach to building products? Any insights to share with other founders or entrepreneurs out there? I feel like I've been doing product development for all 11 years I've probably been in Silicon Valley. And it's what I get really excited about. Like, I'm not necessarily just excited about tech stacks and architecture. I'm more excited about building things that people are really excited to use. And I think that I've learned a lot about it over the years. But one thing that like never fails is just you just want to know if people want to use it. And that's really hard to actually find out, you know, if they're using it every day, then yeah, they want to use it. But like, you know, how do you get that started? How do you build something that people want to use all the time? And I don't think there's a really clear answer other than trial and error. I mean, the only way I've really found to do it is to put things in front of users and then listen, like find out feedback and iterate on it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess as you guys are building the, the first version of Breaker and kind of growing it and adding people, what's that process like for conducting those user feedback sessions? What do you listen for? What do you look for in terms of expressions or reactions and anything there as, as a product manager and as a developer that you specifically look for to know if something's, you know, if you're on the right path or not, I guess. 
we've changed over time how we started, how we measured user feedback. When it was just a couple friends, we just actually just asked them to their face and hoped they told us the truth. But I used to send out emails to all of our beta testers. And usually I'd get some replies that way. So I'd send an email that said like, here's what our new features are. Can you test this and let me know what you think? And people actually replied. And that was when it was probably like 100, 200 people I'd send those emails. Um, and people, I think they seemed to like them. I tried to make them entertaining um, and get some reactions. And then eventually we added a tool called Bug Life which I highly recommend if you're interested in gathering in-app user feedback. It's basic. Every time you take a screenshot in, shot in the Breaker app, it prompts you, hey, is this a bug? Do you want to report it? And we get a lot of bug reports that way. There's also it, like a tab in our settings that says, you know, have any feedback and that, that goes through Bug Life as well. So that's our main channel for getting direct feedback from users. And then shortly into Y Combinator, we added mix panel and tracking to figure out sort of the implicit things that users were doing. So we run some A-B tests through there. We're pretty much always running some some kind of A-B test through Mixpanel to just see what users are doing with the app and what things they end up using and what they're not using so much. And that helps as well. Going forward, we have some more ideas for different ways to gather user feedback, but those so far have been pretty effective for us. Well, sound like some great strategies and it's really cool to hear, you know, what you guys are doing to collect that user feedback. And so building on that, when it came time to grow the Breaker app following YC, what were some of the most successful channels or tactics that you guys employed to get the word out there? Yeah, so actually, this is an interesting question because we haven't actually really pushed on growth yet. I think for almost the first year of our existence, we've been solely focused on user retention as the metric that we really care about because we think that if we get a user coming in to Breaker, we don't want it to be this leaky bucket where a user tries it out and they're like, ah, oh, whatever, and then there's churn. So we actually haven't done a ton of marketing. We were pretty lucky in that we posted it. Well, we did a beta test with product hunts like beta product, but it had a different name then. They were running like, they let product hunt users sign up to try out new betas and we just happened to be a new beta that product hunt users could try so that's we got a couple so that was really expanding breaker beyond our group of friends and friends of friends and you know the people we met in yc <laughs> that was the first time we really spread it past that and through that we got about 1500 users then we launched and crazily enough we're featured in the hot new apps in the app store so apple's app store put us in the like new apps we love which then that also got us a lot of new users. But since then, we haven't done very much. Um, we haven't been marketing other than going on podcasts and doing a little bit here and there and replying to people on Twitter. Um, it's been pretty low key. And I think that's mostly because our focus has been more on how do we keep users and get our retention numbers to a really good place that when we go forward and do that marketing, people will stick and it'll be exciting. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. I was one of those uh, 1,500 people through the Product Hunt email. That's that's how I heard about it. Great. Thanks. Thank you. And thanks for being part of the beta. I think that's so risky to go out and try stuff that, you know, isn't quite done or polished yet. I mean, playing with new products is, is always the best. And even even then, it didn't really feel like a, like a beta. It was very well polished. And uh, it's been it's been the default podcasting app since. Yeah, well, thanks so much. <laughs> I, of course, thought it was not polished at all. So that's great. Definitely. That's very understandable. I think that as a founder, you always see the rough edges or the unreleased vision for the product that you know you have in your mind. But on that note, Breaker is very community driven. Obviously, the, the discovery aspect of it aside, but you guys listen to a lot of feedback and even showcase the voice of that community in your release notes. So what's it like building a product or a platform in that type of environment and how do you manage it? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So it's been really different from other startups I've worked on in terms of how often user feedback makes it into the app. And I think it started in the beta period when we had that really long beta, which I totally actually recommend other people, other listeners who are thinking about building something in the consumer space. Having a long beta is actually kind of interesting. We learned a lot because we were able to get direct feedback from people. So I started adding like people's names in our release notes just as like a little thanks. And it, and those were just like our friends, like people who reported bugs to us. Um, but the tradition kind of carried over um, beyond that. Once we had people we didn't actually know, we still kind of add like a little thanks. If you report something through Bug Life or you email us at feedback at breaker.audio, we will give you a little shout out in, in our release notes if we end up fixing your bug or implementing the feature you requested, um, which is kind of cool. But that, yeah, that was kind of like a just kind of something a little holdover from like the very early days. But um, I think it's kind of fun. It's nice to recognize the help people give us because we really do rely a lot on user feedback in, in terms of what we're building and what we're thinking of doing next. And we actually follow a product planning process that Michael Seibel wrote about in the Y Combinator blog. I hope you can throw a link in the show notes for that. But it's basically the idea of having short sprints and limiting the amount of things that you work on to just that sprint. Uh, we don't know what we're building beyond two weeks. And the way we determine what we build every two weeks is we have a very long meeting at the beginning of the week and then no other meetings the rest of the sprint. And during that very long meeting, we all, everyone on the, on the breaker team gets to suggest ideas for features, tasks, bugs, things they'd like to work on in the next two weeks. And it doesn't even have to be your own work. Like I could suggest something that I know probably someone else on the team will work on. But we bring up these ideas and then we get the chance to all vote on them. So we vote on their priority, which is high, medium, and low. Do we think that this thing, and this is within the sprint. So do we think it's high priority to get done in, in the next two weeks, medium priority or low? And then we vote on difficulty, easy, medium, and hard. These two factors sort of determine what we're going to work on for the sprint. And one of the interesting things about user feedback is that often drives the priority. So if we've heard something that, you know, we hear a lot of users are complaining about this bug, <laughs> it goes out, it goes way up in priority. Or, you know, we've heard this feature from a lot of people, maybe we should consider implementing this soon. So that does definitely factor in. Whereas sometimes like we'll know there's an issue or a feature we want to do, but we're not getting a lot of noise about it, or we're not really hearing much from users. And then it's maybe maybe that's not such a thing we need to work on right in the immediate future. But it may be in, a, in the next sprint or two, just depending on um, sort of how people are feeling, which is super interesting. It's been really fun to, to have like that short iterative process. What have been, I guess, some of the biggest challenges or, or learning points along the journey? For me, learning how to slow down and build startups more thoughtfully not necessarily that every startup needs to be rushed to launch or even rushed to raise venture capital or rushed to, you know, all these trappings of what you'd consider a Silicon Valley startup. It was really fun with Breaker to kind of take it slowly and to really work on the foundation and building. I mean, the foundation for us was building something that people want which is YC's motto, build something people want. We just really wanted to build something that um, users really loved. Um, so taking it slowly has been definitely difficult and interesting for me. <laughs> I'm someone who just like, I have an idea and I want it to exist like today. <laughs> so that was definitely a challenge. Yeah, for sure. I, I know the feeling. And so I yeah. guess, you know, what's next for Breaker with what's on the horizon for you guys? 
Yeah, we're in the middle of a redesign right now. So that is the big thing that's going on is we hired a designer, Emma, who's fantastic. And she comes to us from Sweden. So we're actually doing our redesign iteratively as well. So a lot of companies do, you know, have a big redesign and then they launch it all at once. We've been designing one screen at a time. <laughs> so the app right now, if you go download Breaker, is like half redesigned and half not, um, which I think is really funny and interesting to see. But hopefully um, we'll get that redesign wrapped up in the next month or two. Yeah, for sure. I, I kind of like it one week at a time because then you, it gives you a chance <laughs> to appreciate like what's changed and you kind of go looking for it. Like, oh, what does it look like now? I'm excited, you know? Uh, it's actually, it's a great way to get feedback on new designs too. And we're able to sort of adjust them and like incorporate that feedback into designs for more screens and more stuff. So if, if any listeners here have feedback on Breaker um, and the new designs, uh, we'd love to hear it. Cool. That's awesome. And so you've already mentioned, you know, uh, a few tools and frameworks, blog posts uh, along the way, but do you have any other recommendations on some kind of great content that you've come across? Could be a podcast, could be video, anything of the sort that really, I guess, has stuck with you in the last little bit or that you keep coming back to? So YC Startup School, if you're interested in Y Combinator, they have videos sort of walking you through the process of founding a company. So actually any of the YC, like they have a bunch of videos on YouTube. They have a podcast, which is great. I'd recommend a lot of their stuff if you're interested in how they build companies or work with companies and how, how the founders at YC build their companies. I think it's super fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It's like an, it's an endless playlist of, of content, no matter what format yeah. you pick. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of startup content out there. For sure. So, yeah. So do you have any last thoughts or, or personal mottos that you live by and you think other people should know about? Yeah. And this actually directly ties back into what we just were talking about. There's a lot of startup content out there. And I think for me, it's been a struggle to find who I am as a founder and what I'm interested in doing. You know, I'm definitely not Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, right? Like everyone's very different. I have very, everyone has a unique personality. And so figuring out after listening to all these founders, you know, who am I as a founder and really listening to myself and my gut, I think that's been really helpful for me in building Breaker. Yeah, absolutely. That that's some really, really good advice to that. I think everyone should consider, uh, you know, moving moving forward. You know, who they are as a founder, not necessarily directly comparing yourself to to others. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, it's making decisions and building things that you have pride in and you feel good about. You know, I never want to do something where I don't feel good about what I'm building. Absolutely, that's really cool, Leah. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. We really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Franco. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share it with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us a line, hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.